0: For the last two weeks, uh, we've been looking into the subject of prayer, and we really haven't moved beyond the first two words of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to say. Our Father. I believe that one of the biggest obstacles to prayer for Christians has always been the inability to pray within the context of a father and child relationship. So I think it's been worth our while to start with that concept and we'll see how that influences our ability to find more life and joy in our prayer lives. Maybe we can actually find God in our prayer lives. Prayer becomes a, a performance for us when we try to dance around the obstacle and obstacles and misunderstandings that stand in our way of an authentic encounter with God our Father. The performance is awkward and we find ourselves very uncomfortable in prayer sometimes. We get focused on the act of prayer, not on the object of our prayer, and we become very frustrated. Prayer becomes a task for us, yet another task to add to our busy lives. A religious task that comes with a lot of guilt attached to it. If that task isn't completed in an impressive and consistent manner. So we've addressed the performance obstacle a little by reminding ourselves that we are to come to God as helpless children coming to their father, knowing that he loves and accepts us and has great things in mind for us. Knowing that he is all-powerful, nothing is impossible for God. Knowing that he invites our persistence, our asking, our seeking, our knocking. And I pray that you're finding hope for your prayer life. I know I am for mine. God is at work. I've been working on my commute time with God, and this week I had a big breakthrough. Um, God is faithful, and he will meet us in this pursuit. Along the way in this series of messages, I'm hoping to give you opportunities to hear from some Chapel Hill people who have maybe experienced breakthroughs in their own prayer life. And so this morning, Steve Fox is going to come and share with us some of what he's learned along the way. And so, Steve, will you come now and share what God has done in your life in the area of prayer? Thanks,
1: Paul. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today. Uh, I apologize in advance if I get choked up. Um, this is where I want to tell you a story about how God met me in my family and through a really, really dark time. So this picture before I begin is my sister, Tracy and Tracy. Um, she was my big sis, amazing, godly woman. My wife says it best. She says Tracy is somebody that she just lived her faith. She was faith in action. And this picture was the last picture of her and I taken where she was healthy. Tracy passed away from stage four breast cancer in May of 2000, or I'm sorry, of uh, Memorial Day 2010. And I mean, I'll be honest, it still cuts deep for me because her and I were so close. And to see my sister who used her cancer to lead five people to the Lord, God used her cancer to lead five people to the Lord, her cancer was um, she saw it as a catalyst for the gospel like, that's the kind of woman that she was, and her, her and I and my family were just very like minded so it was very, very difficult, especially in the end stage of you know seeing somebody that you love so so much just in so much pain and just just turn into a shell as she's fighting cancer um, so I went to see her like kind of the end game, and towards the last six months of her life she She was really, really struggling. And God met me in a really powerful way. You know, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, uh, but through everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then it says, When the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So the the end game, when I'm with Tracy in the hospital, I stayed up with her all night. Um, You know, I would just go through and I would use this as a prayer model. And God, just pick me up. Do not be anxious about anything. I would go through and I would just confess, God, I'm anxious about this sadness that's creeping in my heart. God, I'm anxious about Tracy's ability to endure the pain, the physical pain, and, and, and her longing to be there for her kids. God, I'm anxious about my mom. God, I'm anxious for her husband. And I would just go through and I would confess everything and use it as a prayer of confession. Go through in my mind all the things that are really worrying me and the things that I'm really, really struggling with. And then the second part of the verse says, through prayer and petition. So then I would go through and I would pray for the things that, you know, I, I need. Like, God, protect my sister's kids' hearts. Put them in a cocoon. Keep them shielded from this. They're 9, 7, and 5. They're little. Protect your husband. Keep his heart. Give her, give her doctor's wisdom, Lord Give me strength to not let sadness encroach in my heart because there's no room for sadness as a child of yours. And then petition. I would aggressively pray for the things that day that I really needed help with, Um, the areas that I was falling short or where Tracy was falling short. Um, She's in a lot of pain. God, give her relief. So I would walk through that, the things I was anxious for, the things I needed prayer, petition through. And I spent hours and hours and hours just walking through this. And then the cool thing is it says, with thanksgiving, right? That's the next part of this verse. And it's so neat. Like, (laughs) God just changes your heart. You go through, and I would praise him for all the things that I'm thankful for, that Tracy is a believer, that I have eternity to spend with my sister, that five people have been saved through this cancer, that God is protecting her kids, that they aren't jaded, that they understand that there is going to be good from this. And I would just go through and praise him and thank him for my health, for my family's health, for my kids, my wife. And then your heart just turns. You go from being anxious and depressed and focused on you and the circumstance to being thankful. And it's just, it's absolutely wonderful. And then the last thing is, um, I just love how it says, that the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. And I would just ask God, give me a heart that looks forward, not back, that I have an eternal perspective through this situation, Lord, and that I know that you're going to use this for your glory. And just walking through this, I'm not saying there's a perfect prayer model for anything, um, but this is what got me through hours and hours and hours just going through this through a really a horrible time. And I'll say the the end result today is that I'm thankful for Tracy's cancer. I hate cancer still. I'm still sensitive to it. But my faith is stronger. She's in heaven. And God was glorified through it. Uh, the neat thing, I'll just close with this. At her service, there was 900 people at her viewing. like, And she was a mom with three kids. But she used it as a megaphone, 900 people. The whole high school football team came to her viewing in their jerseys. She wasn't perfect, but she has a legacy. And then at her service, the last song in her service was uh, Tim Hughes' Oh Happy Day. And it was rocking. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. Um, So we know, I just know that I'm going to see her. And God used his word in a perfect way to get me through that dark circumstance. And whatever you're facing, I encourage you to get into Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And, and follow this. Just use it as a prayer of confession and a prayer of, I need prayer here. Give him thanks and then ask him to guard your heart. He's faithful and he will. Thanks for listening.
0: You just set that right there. Prayer is a very personal thing, and it's a tremendous opportunity for God to meet you where you're at and do what he does best, love you and carry you through difficult times and and times of celebration as well. And I appreciate that, Steve. Thank you for opening up your heart to us and sharing with us how how God ministered to you through this. And um, just pray that for all of us that we would find that place where we connect with God. We've been talking about having a childlike perspective when it comes to prayer and approaching our father as helpless children, fully dependent on him. But there are obstacles that get in the way of this kind of encounter taking place. And I want to address one more of those obstacles this morning before we move on to some of the things that God has for us about how we pray. There's a lot that needs to happen inside of us that will make our experience of prayer much more meaningful. And I think many of us have learned through trial and error that the act of prayer can be frustrating or even empty in itself without the heart that should accompany prayer. So let's talk for a while about something that could be prayer's biggest enemy. Cynicism. Cynicism. This is something that I think does an excessive amount of damage to our prayer lives. Cynicism is the opposite of childlikeness. It's an attitude of negativity or distrust of something or someone. And here are some of the ways cynicism presents itself in our prayer lives. We get thinking that this thing that we're being asked to pray about is going to happen whether we pray or not. We're not the ones who ultimately determine what's going to happen. We can't tell God what to do. So why go through the motions? We entertain the idea that our prayers really don't make any difference. Things are going to just run their course. Is the world really going to change direction because I took the time to close my eyes and speak? We doubt God's involvement in the affairs of this world because we don't see the evidence of answered prayers that we're looking for. We're just not seeing the results that we expect. Millions of people have been praying for millennia. Where's the improvement? Why isn't this world a better place? Why pray if things are just going to keep going in this direction? We doubt God's goodness in the midst of all the evil that we see around us. Our prayers are obviously loving prayers. So where's God's love? Why isn't he responding positively to the pain and suffering we can see so clearly all around us? How can he allow such things to happen, things such as cancer? We question God's love and his ability and his attentiveness. Is he really there? Does he really care? We're impatient when it comes to the outcome of our prayers. Why, if we've been faithfully doing our part, is God not responding right now to our obedience in prayer? Why can't he just give us some proof that our prayers are effective and answer this request today? And with all of these unanswered questions, we get cynical. We do. Of course, we usually hide that cynicism. Nobody wants to start a conversation at church about how ineffective prayer is. But in our culture surrounded by cynics, we get cynical even when it comes to prayer. Behind the infiltration of cynicism in our hearts and minds and sometimes conversations is a battle that's been going on for thousands of years, a battle to separate people from God. In fact, it goes right back to the Garden of Eden, and that really ought to help us understand why we struggle with cynicism so much. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, right back at the beginning. God has just finished creating. He's created man and woman and garden and all the plants and animals in the garden. And he's given the man and the woman instructions about what they can eat in the garden. He gives them only one restriction. They cannot eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here's what happens when the enemy, appearing as a serpent brings his cynicism into the garden and uses it as a weapon against man and God. Genesis chapter 3, the first six verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And there it is. God's just being selfish. Don't trust him. He just wants to keep you down and certainly doesn't want you to be as wise as he is. Look at the angle that he's playing. And Eve and then Adam pick up that cynicism and they go ahead and question God's motives. They become cynical about the goodness of God and the necessity of taking God at His word. And it didn't take much for them to reach that point. And for thousands of years since, cynicism has become an obstacle to seeing God's will accomplished in our lives. And it has kept us from growing as close to God in relationship As he desires us to be. Now, in this day and age with evil all around us, cynicism has become kind of the norm in our culture. We as a culture have become too aware of the evil around us to trust or to love or to hope and yes, even to pray. Just look at the influence that cynicism has in our society. What's happening to our trust in professional athletes? Are there still records in baseball that mean anything? Who really is the best hitter when so many players are using drugs to improve their hitting? Does the Tour de France still have the prestige that it once did? Or have we become totally cynical towards the glory of professional sports? I'm still hanging on to my love of the Olympics. Can't wait for things to get started here in a couple weeks. But how long will it be before my passion for the Olympics is replaced? By cynicism. How many people are becoming lifelong cynics because after being told for decades that they can accomplish anything they set their mind to. They didn't even get through the auditions for American Idol and that dream was smashed. What happened to their happily ever after? Their bubbles burst because they were told by some loudmouth judge that they're not good enough to be whatever they want to be. How obvious is the cynical nature of our society when we create forums daily for people to point out what's wrong with something or someone? Everyone can be a critic. Everyone can have a say. Everyone can leave a comment, even if that comment may ruin someone else's attempt at fulfilling their dream or accomplishing their goal. Cynicism is growing. The American journey is one that passes through the idealistic fairy tale phase when you're a child and quickly descends into the cynical phase that often lasts the rest of your life. It's no wonder that cynicism even finds its way into our perspective on prayer. It's exactly what our enemy wants to see happen. He wants us to doubt God. He wants us to lower our expectations of our Father. He wants us to give up hope. From the Garden of Eden till this very day, we're being tempted by God's enemy and ours to stop trusting. Stop trusting life, stop trusting people, stop trusting God. Nothing's going to be what it claims to be, and so we become cynics. It alarms me how much this upcoming generation is learning to poke holes in things. They're being taught that you can't believe what you hear. There's something suspicious or even wrong about Everything. And this carries over into the things they're learning about God. They're being trained to find an explanation for everything. So much so that they don't know what to trust. They're not sure anymore that they can trust anything. And that includes the things that they're hearing at church. It includes what they know of God. Faith is strongly questioned. A nation that once claimed in God we trust is being told that the only one we can trust in is ourself. We're even struggling to hang on to trust in the leaders of God's church. We can only trust ourselves. And that leads us to cynicism. Even cynicism towards God and the encounter of prayer that he invites us to experience with him. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? How do we overcome the power of cynicism in our minds and in our hearts? Can we learn to trust again? Can we learn to see the good and not just the negative Can we learn to approach prayer confidently again? How do we remove this obstacle to our intimacy with God? In our last series of messages, we talked about peace and the deeper reality of finding peace in the midst of difficult circumstances, not just in peaceful circumstances. And the same is true of our prayer lives. There is a a deeper reality here than just having our circumstantial prayers answered the way we think they should be answered. There's more to this than seeing God respond by changing our circumstances. If prayer is just based on seeing results in the way of changed circumstances, then we'd have plenty of reason to be cynical about prayer. But there is a much deeper reality in prayer that we need to discover. Walking with our Father involves us walking with Him through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. David didn't speak in Psalm 23 of God, helping him avoid the valley. He praised God for his presence through the valley. David's psalm was written about the shepherd, not his own circumstances. And in order to overcome our cynicism regarding prayer, we're going to have to do the same. We're going to have to focus on the shepherd, not the valley. Faith trusts the shepherd. Cynicism looks to the valley. I want to spend some time here looking at ways in which we can fight back against our cynicism. This is a battle that we must engage in. Without keeping our cynicism in check, we can easily get discouraged in prayer and walk away. Away from something that's meant to help us flourish and become contagious in our walk with God. We don't gain much from being cynical. We might avoid a little pain from disappointment or disillusionment, but but you tell me... What you see in people who are obviously cynical. What do you see? I see misery. I see emptiness and a loss of hope. I see the opposite of the abundant life that Christ offers us. So let's see if there isn't something that we can do to resist cynicism. One thing that we can do is something that I'm calling embracing Narnia. I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis's work in the Chronicles of Narnia. Last weekend, I watched uh, two of the movies again with my sons. Um, Now, there are some things in those movies that could really scare my little boys The White Witch, the Sea Monster, and a host of other characters and situations. But the thing that made me comfortable about having them watch these movies is that they've read the books. And that context was one in which the White Witch was going to be defeated. My boys knew that she was. And so when she's swinging her sword and freezing people and creating all kinds of havoc, my boys were considerably less frightened because they knew that she was going to get it in the end. Now in prayer, we need to remember that we know how the story is going to end. We know how it's going to end. We've read the ending If we don't believe that the white witch is going to ultimately be defeated, we're going to get pretty cynical about Aslan's power when we see her slaying him on the stone table. In life, we're going to get pretty cynical about God's power to respond to our prayers if we focus on the evil all around us and not on the end of the story. God wins. Period. Period. God wins. That's already been determined. We've seen how the story ends. That's the deeper reality of the things that we see all around us in life. We may not see what's behind each loss or struggle or defeat in the day-to-day view of life. And if we stay there in that view, we're going to be tempted to get cynical. But God showed us how this is all going to end. He wins. We win. And there's an eternal reality there. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he does, he's going to claim the victory that he won on Calvary. Evil is going to be destroyed forever. And we will reign with Jesus in victory. In the meantime, in prayer, Christ has called us to declare that victory with him and live in the deeper reality of that victory. And that involves some courage and wisdom Things that contradict cynicism in prayer. Cynicism is not courageous. It is not wise. Cynicism lives in the temporal and the physical, not in the eternal and the spiritual. Jesus demonstrated this in the advice he gave his disciples when he sent them out to do ministry. He told them this in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16. He said, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. God has placed us, his children, in the midst of wolves. And he's asking us to remain sheep, but to maintain a balance of wisdom and innocence in this environment. He's not looking for us to become cynical wolves in the midst of the evil all around us. He's telling us to be wise, to grasp the deeper reality, and to be innocent, to be like children, and not focus on the evil. We live in a fallen world. It's a world that focuses on the darkness. But we are to live in the light in the midst of the darkness and fight the cynicism that comes from the dark. Chapel Hill, remember this. The darkness is not winning. It can't win. Evil is merely scratching and clawing to hang on to this world on its way to hell. We can't allow ourselves to give in to the temptation of cynicism. The temptation... To agree with the enemy that evil is winning. Because it's not. There's a purpose to this battle. But the battle leads only to eternal victory. That's why we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be discouraged. We don't need to be cynical. Because God wins. On the cross, Jesus was mocked by some people who passed by him as he hung there. They were cynical people. They said, he can save others, but he can't save himself. Those people couldn't see the deeper reality that Jesus would rise from the dead and defeat death. But we can. We can. We can see how the story is going to end. So if Jesus says pray, then we will pray. And if things don't look quite the way we think they should right now, that is not a reason for us to be cynical. God wins and in the meantime may his will be done. And we will pray as brave children to our Father in heaven. He's proven over and over again that he knows what he's doing. A cynic prays as if the battle's being lost. God's children pray as if the battle is already won. There are other ways to combat cynicism in our prayers. One of those ways is to learn to listen first and then talk. And let me explain what I mean by that. Cynics do a lot of talking. They seem to have their minds made up beforehand about how things are going to play out. And so they come talking. We do a lot of talking in prayer. And when we're confronted with the idea that prayer is a two-way conversation, we think, well, that sounds lovely, but I'm not hearing a voice. Uh, I don't expect to hear a voice when I pray. I think I'd be terrified if I did. It's not what I mean when I challenge you to listen first. What I'm encouraging you to do is to listen to how Jesus responded to requests in the Bible. And what I think you'll hear is Jesus speaking hope first, and then he responds. Cynicism drains the hope from your prayers. If you come to prayer without listening, you are most likely to miss the hope and deepen your cynicism. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Before he heals a blind man in John chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus tells his disciples that God allowed this man to be blind so that God's power might be displayed in him. Then he heals the man. Hope first. He said that God's power would be displayed in this man, and then it was. In Luke 7, Jesus comes across a widow whose only son had died, and before doing anything, he tells the widow, Do not weep. Do not weep. Then he brought her son back from the dead. Hope first, then action. When Jairus told Jesus that his daughter had died, Jesus said to him, Do not fear, only believe. Then he took action. Before he healed a crippled woman, Jesus said, Woman, you are free from your disability. Hope first, then action. See a pattern here? Cynicism develops... When we're only looking for the result and not the hope that we're being asked to receive. Jesus wants us to find hope in him when we come to him. Then we'll see what he has in mind for the situation. But he wants us to find him first when we come in prayer. And he offers us hope. So to overcome our cynicism because we're looking for results, aren't we? We need to set our minds on finding Christ and hearing him speak hope to us before he moves in response to our prayers. This is an eye-opener for me. Um, Jesus spoke hope to so many in the Bible before he took action. I've come looking for action far too many times. I need to learn to listen first and then speak, and there's much to listen to in the Word of God. Cynicism leads you to speak and only speak. But God wants us to listen well before we speak, to get our focus on Him and not just the results. Take the time to understand and grasp the hope that God offers us. Look for Him and not just the results. Many of you, uh, as parents, have struggled with the task of helping your kids pick good books from the library. Uh, We've gone through this a lot, both at the school library and in the public library. They tend to choose a book based on the picture on the cover. We want them to select something with uh, more substance quite often. We're not so concerned with the visual sensation on the cover that's intended to draw kids in. Most of the old fairy tales do not feature mutated ninja turtles, wimpy kids, or superheroes on the cover, so they don't really stand a chance at the library. If Hans Christian Andersen had featured barfing, burping, or farting on the cover of his fairy tales, they'd probably still be very popular today among kids. When it comes to prayer, we're still faced with a question of which story to focus on when we come before our Father. And when cynicism is taking control in our lives, let's face it, we're obsessed with our own story. It's our story. So here's what I've been experimenting with. Um, I've memorized the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23. Uh, are you impressed with that? It's very impressive. I can see you going out and telling people, hey, my pastor memorized the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23. Many of you have as well. You've got that committed to memory. So when I start my prayer time, I've been starting with one of those passages. They both begin with God and they both reflect his story as the backdrop for my prayers. My praise fits into the context of his story. My thanksgiving fits into the context of his story. My requests fit into the context of his story. It's his name, his will, his kingdom, his forgiveness, his protection, his provision, his glory. It's his story, not mine. I seek my place in his story, not his place in my story. And when I do, it's pretty hard for me to be cynical about prayer. Nothing in those passages has ever changed or ever will. And I can count on that. My story is a mess. His story is solid. And my cynicism melts away. There are still other things that we can do to overcome cynicism in our prayers. Two of them are found in the act model of prayer. Confession and thanksgiving. Confession is to be a part of our prayer life, as hard as it is to do. We have been called by God to confess our sins to him and find his forgiveness in prayer. And as strong a force as cynicism has become in our prayer lives, I think it would be very difficult to find a cynic who engages in confession in his prayers. It may be impossible to be genuinely repentant and cynical at the same time. The humility that confession brings leaves no room for cynicism. Your prayers, are, your prayers become more meaningful, very meaningful, as you acknowledge your sinfulness before God. So it's important that we bring confession into our prayer. Cynicism and thankfulness also do not make good roommates. I don't think they can coexist. Giving thanks has to be a consistent part of our prayers. And most of us do this consistently. Telling God what you're thankful for is one of the easiest things that we do when we pray. But can I challenge you to take this thanksgiving to a deeper level in your prayers? I want us to learn from the Apostle Paul how we can eliminate cynicism regarding the people in our lives when it comes to our prayers for them. Uh, We can get pretty cynical about what God is doing in other people's lives when we pray for them. And so Paul teaches us that we need to give thanks for them first. This is how we combat that cynicism. Um, Paul had the challenge of uh, shepherding churches full of new believers struggling to let their faith take root. He had to correct them a lot, which is what most of us want to do in our prayers when it comes to other people. But listen to how Paul dealt with his cynicism towards the people that he was praying for. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 1 Corinthians 1, 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. Ephesians 1, 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Philippians 1, verses 3 to 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, even in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. And you'll see this theme more in Paul's writing in other places. This is how Paul kept from getting cynical towards his churches. And before you write this off as something just for us pastors, let me challenge another group that's represented here. Parents, how cynical have you gotten regarding your children when you pray for them, regarding how they're turning out? If you've gotten cynical at all, let's go back to this. To combat cynicism. Paul shows us that thanksgiving is how we're going to fight back the cynicism that we have towards others. Cynicism is an enemy of prayer. We're going to see great advances in our prayer lives if we... We're not going to see great advances in our prayer lives if we allow the enemy, cynicism, to hang around and have its way. If you can identify some cynicism in your perspective on prayer, root it out and burn it. Don't let it have its way. Fight back for the sake of finding victory and hope and God's story in your prayers. Meet him there without the unwelcome guest of cynicism. I would challenge you to take a good hard look at your prayer life this week for any signs of cynicism there. And when you find it, deal with it harshly and meet your father in prayer. And may God bless you as you come to him. And he comes to you as you search him out this week. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now to take the offering. And the worship team to come back up and close the service for us. Let's pray as they do. Father, how it must grieve you when we get cynical about the very thing that you've asked us to do to engage in communion with you. I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me for the the many times that I've doubted prayer. I know where my focus has been. It hasn't been on your story. It hasn't been on you. It's been on me, my story, my circumstances. I haven't taken the time always to look for the hope that you have to offer. I've looked for results. And I know many of us have done that. And when we don't see results the way we think we should see results time and time again, it builds up and we we get cynical. And God, we're sorry for that. So will you help us, Father? To find these things that we've been talking about here this morning that will combat that cynicism. Help us to get focused on you and on your story. Help us to engage in things that will break down that cynicism, thankfulness, confession. Father, help us deal with the cynicism in our lives. There is nothing, nothing that's going to fail in our communion with you. I pray that you'd work in our prayer lives. I pray that you would work to take your word and plant it deeply in our hearts and minds. Give us the discipline to turn to your word, to find perspective for our interactions with you. I praise you for being our Father, for being patient with us and forgiving. And I pray that for every single one of us, we would find more and more life and joy and hope in the times that we spend with you. And I praise you for being faithful to this. In Jesus' name, amen.